guest is uh, a man who embodies the entrepreneurial uh, spirit. Uh, we've we've known uh, this guy for uh, going on two decades, and uh, he's he is a unbelievable entrepreneur. And um, his name and our fir- first French guest, our first French guest. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Laurent Renaud. Close enough. Close enough? Perfect. Close enough. Vrigno, even Vrigno. so I never, never introduced myself by my last name. Uh, Welcome. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having Bienvenue. Bienvenue. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 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 <laughs> Welcome, um, Laurent. Thanks thank for coming, very man. Much. Thanks for having me. Um, and uh, yeah, excited. I've never done a podcast, so perfect. Uh, and and we keep it. Neither is Chris. Yeah, this is our first. <laughs> this is our first one. We lied to you. So we we keep it super organic and just start off. Where were you born? Paris, France. Paris, France. Uh, and how long how long were you in Paris, France? So I was in Paris, France for eighteen years, and uh, about three months after my eighteenth birthday, I came on what was supposed to be a short trip to San Francisco. And that'll be uh, about 40 years next year, oh, 40 cool. years ago. The short trip has been 40 years long. <laughs> so, just about. So, so what was it like growing up in, in Paris? Were you in so, Paris proper? Or? I was in Paris. It doesn't get any more proper than where I, I grew up in the 18th district, which a lot of people relate to as Montmartre, the art district of Paris. In Paris, there's one hill. Uh-huh. Anywhere you're in Paris, you look north, there's one hill. There's a white church on top of it known as the Sacré-Cœur. And uh, there's one main street that leads you there, Rue Le Pic. I'm born 63, Rue Le Pic. Okay. And I went to school underneath the Sacré-Cœur boarding school, that is. That's so great. And uh, when I'm in Paris, you can find me on the same street. I own an apartment there where my mom lives. And uh, that's where I'm from. And, and So uh, elementary school, middle school, high school. High school. All and, right there. Yeah. And uh, my dad took a job in uh, Silicon Valley in 1983. And uh, asked my brother and I if within a few months of him being there, we might want to join him and check California out, Northern California. My brother said, no way. There's no hunting and fishing there. <laughs> and I was like, and I, so at the time I was 17, my brother was 15. And uh, I had a couple passions beside the girls, um, which were microcomputers mm-hmm. and the sport of windsurfing. And microcomputers in Silicon Valley made a lot of sense. And from reading in the magazine, I knew that it was windy in San Francisco and, and a lot is, of people were windsurfing. This is what, mid-80s? This is 19... So I landed on February 11th, 1984 at SFO International on I, a I like, I like knowing the date. I know we're jumping ahead for Polis's taste because uh, he likes a little more childhood. But I love knowing the date because it's like... My grandparents knew the date they landed on Ellis Island. Of course. You know, it's, that's like a, a huge date. Well, when you're a French kid like me, and I was a French kid at the time, I mean, landing in America was a big deal. I mean, I, I'm telling I think, you. I think it still is. I, I can't tell you the, yeah. the date when the first time I had sex, but I can certainly tell you the date of the first time I landed in SF. <laughs> I can tell you how long it, it was. At the time, it was two flights going to New York City on Pan Am on the big old 747. Yes. At the time, it took close to 10 hours to go from Paris to New York City. Holy to shit. To the North Pole. Yeah, just the whole. And, and then another nine hours from New York in in. The first time, and this, I'll always remember this, I got out of the plane in New York City, JFK, I'm in America, I'm by myself, I'm going to meet my dad in California. And, 
it's just, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm 18 years old, right? I've never traveled that far. I've never flown that far. I've never flown that long. And I'm thirsty and I'm going and I'm looking at the gates and then I'm checking. And I went to this uh, soda stand, coffee shop, whatever. And I, and this huge lady looked over the counter and, and she said, what do you want? And I said, Coca-Cola. <laughs> and she's like, what? Coca-Cola. Oh, you want a Coke? It, that was, that's the first thing I ever heard in America. <laughs> I said, New Yorker. Coca-Cola. <laughs> she saying? was like, holy. And then she asked me about the size of it. And, and then I said, you know, the big size. And, and I never seen a cup of Coke so big. You know, French people, everything in France is small, right? Mm -hmm. Small French guys, small everything. So anyway, that was, uh, yeah, 39 years ago. I love it. So, so. Growing, growing up in Paris, um, first memories. Were you a good student in, in school? No. Elementary no. school, fun? Yeah, I mean, my, you know, my parents divorced. I was six. Okay. So from one day to the next, um, I was in boarding school. Did and you guys have money? No. Okay. No. What, what I mean, we had just basic Parisian. No, we, didn't, we were not poor and right. we were not rich. What, what did they do for work? My dad was an engineer, uh -huh. and my mom did not work. Okay. Parisian okay. middle class. Yeah, Parisian yeah. middle class, lived in the art district, you know, the art district in the 18th arrondissement. And, um, and my dad traveled a lot for work. Um, and then next thing, uh, my parents are going through a divorce. Mm. You know, I was six. You don't understand why, what's going on. Right. Next thing, when boarding school, my brother and I, and what sounds terrible turned out to be a great thing. Right. I, I, the best 10 years of my uh, teenage years uh, from 6 to 16 were in boarding school. And I, it didn't take that long for me to realize this is cool. You was, know, when you're was 6. Board, was boarding school in Paris or yeah, did you go it was away? in Paris. So it was in town. It, yes. It was you lived in, at home? No, no. I, I, I lived boarding. on uh, so the school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was boarding <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, okay, I slept at a private school. Is that? Yeah, is it, that the, it was a private boarding school. No, no, I slept at the school. All boys. Um, so it was all boys, and then as I as I got to be older and going through puberty, it became mixed. Oh God! And that's yeah. when, talk about timing. That's Fuck. when boarding school boarding school became heaven. <laughs> right. right. It, it's just unreal. And where was where was that in relation to your house? How far? Was the boarding school? Well, not very far, but my dad had moved out of Paris. Okay. Uh, my mom still lived in Paris. It was in the 18th district, so I was walking distance from mm. where my parents were. I was born and raised and where my grandparents lived. And uh, so, so I wasn't far from home. I just wasn't sleeping at home. Right. Because my dad was traveling for business and my parents were divorced. Um, but the cool thing is my grandparents on my father's side and my grandma on my mother's side were, you know, visiting us on the weekend, taking us away from the weekend or, or on holidays and so on. So it wasn't, you know, you hear stories about boarding school in England or, you know, in being Switzerland. Being abandoned. Yeah, no, I wasn't abandoned at all. And we saw our mom, we saw our dad on over weekends and blah, blah, blah. But, but, but then it became, it was great. I mean, boarding school, and I learned, all, I learned everything in boarding school, which is why once I, once I never went past high school. Would you, would you say that boarding school advanced you? Yes. Way quicker than living at home? Of course, because, you know, you, you don't have parents there every night to tuck you in or yeah. none of that. And, you know, it can be, especially when it started with old boys, it's, it's a little rough. I was a small kid. Yeah. I'm still small. 
You know, I was the smallest kid. Um, my brother, on the other end, which is a year and a half younger than me, was in the same boarding school. And my brother was way bigger than me. And my brother was a warrior and a fighter. Mm. So I never had to worry about getting beat up. My brother would take care of that. Wow. Yeah, which was pretty cool. He's, cool. he's just going to school to kick some ass. Yeah, my, that's <laughs> all my brother wanted is fight. And all I wanted to do is talk, uh. okay, and, and which is why I became a salesman, yep. interesting enough. In the, oh, those poor teenage French girls. But, uh, <laughs> no, you know, Parisian, this isn't, we're talking in the 70s, you know. Uh, Paris in the 70s was great. What, were you, what music were you listening to? Well, in the 70s, I wasn't listening to much music, but what I can remember to, to music is, is really my, in my transition to coming to America. I mean, I was all about the Bee Gees. I was yeah. all about Stevie Wonder. You know, I mean, yeah. that's just, and for us, Parisian kids, French kids, American music, you know, and I talk about this quite often, you know, when I talk to immigrants or French people here in California, you know, why when I was 10 or 12 years old, me and my school buddies, why were we drawing American flags on our school books? Why? Why? Yeah. America, mm -hmm. and that's what's incredible about this country. I mean, I didn't know anything about America, but somehow through music, movies, fashion, the little bit we knew, there was no cell phone, no Instagram, none of that. But the little bit, info, the little bit of information we got. Saturday Night Fever, it was, Greece. Yes, like. Greece, 1978, <laughs> the, the Bee Gees, John Travolta, um, but even Stevie Wonder, you know, and, and then Michael Jackson came along. And, and, and so that, that's my memory. And so that's why all of a sudden my dad's like, hey, do you want to check out California? Of course. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that's what happened. So you, so you mentioned earlier that, you know, two, two of the passions, one were, were women and the other one was, or microcomputers. No. Microcomputers <laughs> micro and windsurfing. Windsurfing. I mean, how did you pick up windsurfing in so Paris? I like how Chris added women. Yeah. So um, my family is originally on my father's side from a, a region of France called Vendée, which is right south of Brittany. Uh, a, a lot of people are familiar with Bo Brittany, so south of Bordeaux. That, is that where north. the blue lobsters are from? I don't know about blue lobsters, but not many lobsters Brittany. in my town. Brittany. No. That, that's no. uh, that's the, uh, the fish, right? Dover Sole? Well, there's so, plenty of souls where I'm yeah. from. Yeah. Yes, Dover Sole. Solmenier, Solmenier. So uh, every holiday, every summer for two months, every you know uh, Easter holiday, we're on the coast of France in the on the Atlantic coast, where my brother still lives. Um, and, and is that very rural? It's very rural. It's, ru it's, it's rough and it's, tumble. Yeah. It's the ocean. It's a it's a village of twenty five hundred. It was twenty five hundred fifty years ago. It's still twenty five hundred. But in the summer, it goes to 100,000 population. Wow. <laughs> Campgrounds, RVs. And, and you know, if, if I had to compare it to a town around here, a um, little bit of a St. Clemente type of feel. Mm. Very surfy. Uh, probably, people, probably 1950s St. Clemente. Yeah, people down to earth, driving old vehicles, uh, a couple bakeries, and the ocean. A rough ocean, a lot of wind. Waves. Not a Louis Vuitton store no, anywhere. No, no, yeah. no, no Chanel, no, none of that. And, and who lived down there? Your, your grandparents? So, so, um, my, my uncle, all my, on my father's side, my entire family. Okay. His sisters, um, his father back when he was alive. Um, and, and we were always attached to that village because every holiday as a kid was there. When mm -hmm. I was not in boarding school, I was in that town. My first job was in that town on the flea market. My first job as a server was in that town when I was. What was 50. your very first job? A flea market. Uh, just selling, selling stuff. Selling produce, selling veggies. 
oh, nice. for someone. Yeah, yeah for, like the, a, for a, a farmer. farmer's market. Yeah, so so my first job was selling carrots and potatoes for the local farmer because we, at first it started, we, we, we would go and for a few francs, we would ask them if we could unload their trucks. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to be at the bar at 6, 7 o'clock in the morning while a bunch of kids were running around in front of the church laying out the veggies or the porcelain because I ended up also selling porcelain. But my first job in the summer, every single day, was the markets and selling stuff on the parking lot. And um, they'd, they'd pay you uh, 100 francs? No, they paid us at the time 20, 30 francs. But then what happened is I, I got, you know, I, I like to, you know, people started, the first shoppers would come in as you were putting things on the, on the parking lot. And, and the guy was still at the cafe, you know, drinking a, a beer, yeah. you know? And, and so I started selling stuff and then the guy would come back and it's seven o'clock in the morning. Technically it hasn't really started. And I'd hand him 40, 50 francs. I go, Hey, those two ladies came by. They wanted to buy this. And then, and then the guy would say, well, stay here. Yeah. Keep selling stuff with me. And, and then, and then I love the flea market. I'm 56 years old. I've got a thriving business. And once in a while, I'm known to be found at the Long Beach flea market at five o'clock in the morning with my own booth. Love it. You, you Love just it. can't 50 yeah. years later. Well, that you, you can't take the entrepreneur out no. of here. Um, no, but the, see, so you like the action. I like the, I like the action. I, I like the game, yeah. you know, and, and I'm extremely, I've only sold things that were, I've always been passionate about. I've never had to sell something to feed myself that I wasn't passionate about. Mm-hmm. And I've never sold something originally to make money. And I've always ended up doing pretty well selling that. Right. Okay. And use most of the stuff that I've always sold. I've been selling stuff for a long time. I've sold one, I've sold 10, and then I've sold thousands. And then the money came along. Right. But I just, every day I go follow my passion and, and you know, the whole action sport. I mean, we'll talk about this in a second, but my whole career, my main career was action sport, the action sport business, surf, skate, snow business. But the reason why I got into that when I was in San Francisco is because I wanted to be in the ocean. I wanted to surf more. I wanted to skate more. I wanted to ride snowboards more. So obviously I had to be in the business. Okay. I didn't think at the time being 20 years old, I would make an entire career out of it. Right. Okay. I stayed with it. The business exploded. I exploded with it. I worked hard. But I played hard. Right. And I worked hard so I could play harder all the time. Makes sense. So, so many times people say, follow your passion. I didn't do this for the money. I did it because I loved it. And it's, and I agree. That's 100% and it's 100% true. But people listening to this, the, I think we're up to 3 million uh, followers, um, listeners on the pod. In uh, France. In France alone, we're up to 3 million. Um, Kids hear that, and it sounds so cliche, like that's what my parents say. Oh, do what you love. You'll never work a day in your life if you love it and stuff. But it's it's really true. But it sounds so cliched when somebody says it. But you didn't didn't do it because you thought, hey, I I could get paid selling these vegetables. You were just... Like you like the action and, I li- I like and then the, the porcelain and then the, the like. Well, I like the action. I also like, I, I mean, I like the cash. I mean, let's just be realistic. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay, more cash is better than less cash. Yeah. I mean, when I was 15, 16 years old, if you had cash, you could take a girl to the cafe, you could buy her a drink and you could play pinball. Okay. That's the environment I grew up in. Freaking space invaders. Exactly. Yeah. The white one. Yeah. 
right? Oh, if, okay. I could, if I could have those quarters back, I'd have many, many quarters. <laughs> so, so I liked the cash and, and it just, you know, I, every day I went out and sold something and, and especially when you're a kid, at the end of the day, I had cash in my pocket, not a paycheck, not a job contract, cash. Yeah. Right. And the more I went out and the more passionate I was about selling goods, the more cash I made. Did, you, did you ever think to yourself inside, hey, I got to do this in my head and I don't want to, but I know if I do it, it'll lead to more cash. Or you said to yourself, dude, I'm doing what I like and I'm going to work harder than anyone else around me. And, and cash is a byproduct of hard work. And you know what? I, I wanted to have cash, but I was never motivated to, I have to make, I wanted to have cash, but what was important to me is having a great time. I wanted to have a great time. And, you know, we, I referred to the girls a couple of times, but you know, I wanted, I wanted to be with friends and I wanted to make sure that my friends and I could do things. And I was young and I had a little cash because I was working hard all the time and it allowed me and my buddies to do a bunch of stuff. You know, having cash by yourself is pretty boring. Right. 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 Yeah, for sure. But when you have cash and you can buy dinner or or buy lunch at the cafe at the beach or or rent a couple of surfboards for your friends. Yeah. I mean, you're like, you know, it's it's cool. And, And so I was always in that train of thoughts. And, and so that was my teenage years. What, what did you deploy your cash on for your first vehicle? My God, you know, I, okay. So my first vehicle, I got taken <laughs> in France. No, it's, no. In France, you don't buy a vehicle so when you you're 16 years old. In France, you don't need a vehicle. Okay. Even today in yeah. 2020, in Paris, you don't need a you vehicle. Pay, you don't need a vehicle and a family has one vehicle, right? And then the kids go to university and eventually blah, blah, blah. And then at maybe at 22, 23, 25, they might get a car on their own. But no, I mean, this is a different culture. But now fast forward, I'm 18 years old. Okay. And, and, and you don't go to college. You graduate well, high school. Well, I finished. No. I, when I landed in February 11th, 1984, okay. I was in 12th grade. I quit in the middle of the school. My, my, my father asked me to come check it out for the last quarter of high school. I went to the Lycée Francais in San Francisco as a 12th grader, taking the train. My dad lived in Silicon Valley. We lived in, Los Gal- in, we lived in Menlo Park at the time. Wow. So I would take the train because that's how French kids do. You take the train and then I get to San Francisco Terminal. I take a bus and I make it to the French Lycée. I went there in February, March, April, May, June. And at the end of June in France, still to this date, there's a big exam called the baccalauréat, the bachelor, high school diploma. Diploma, yeah. But in French, you have to take a test, which, which wraps your entire high school years. A math test, an English test, a French test, a Spanish test, and so on. And I failed the test. Mm. And my dad and I clashed, and I left. I was 18 and, and a half. And so... Um, and I started working right away. Where? In a surf shop in Redwood City. Yes. And I started waiting table at a, at a French restaurant called La Tour Eiffel in Redwood City. Oh, <laughs> I met a couple guys at the beach. So how I, long was your hair? To, to, to my shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> Two earrings. Yeah. I mean, I, I, ponytail? I, no, I never had a ponytail. But I, had, it... I looked like an Indian. I, you know, this is an era where I had long hair. This is what, mid-80s? This is 19, uh, yeah, 80, 86, 85, 86, ah, 87, crazy. long hair. And I always had a red bandana. Oh, my god! I want to look like an Indian. Yep. Right? <laughs> Pretty scary for a French guy in San Fran. 
So and, and and just for the record, you're not gay. No, 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 no. <laughs> I've tried a lot of things, but I haven't tried that. In, I mean, in, San uh, Francisco. No, uh, no, you know, it's no. All, I, it's all adding up here. No, as a matter of fact, and I still tell. I, I told someone a couple of days ago. I said it was heaven being in San Francisco. Now I'm 19, 20, 21, 22, and so on. I live in the number one gay city in the world. Mm -hmm. I'm focused on chasing girls, and the competition's gay. Yeah, right. right. Wow. Odds are in your favor. Uh, uh, Like a kid in the candy store. I've got an accent, you know, but I mean, it was was great. It was was (laughs) awesome. Going back to the first car. Yeah. So I had to buy a first car, and I went to a used car place in San Jose on Stevens Creek Boulevard, and, and, and I should have known better. And I bought a Ford Pinto. <laughs> I think I was the only guy in the world that didn't hear they would explode if you hit them in the back. Well, and it was and it was eight ten years old. Yes, right. I bought an old Ford. It, what I liked about it, you it put looked, your surfboard. Well, it looked like a space vehicle, and my surfboard. Had a big was, hatchback. Yeah. Yes, so it was cool, right? So I bought this Ford Pinto <clears throat> at the time for about fifteen hundred dollars. And for sure, there was a big bonus on whoever sold that car that day. Yeah, because nobody was buying a Pinto. It lasted. It was it was brown. It was it was. <laughs> You had a brown pinto, didn't you? Yeah, that might have been our car. <laughs> that might have been ours. It fell apart within two weeks. Oh, shit. And was, I was, was the cigarette uh, ashtray full? No, but, but, and, but I was crushed. I was crushed, you know. And, and so I went back to see the guy, the sales guy, and I told him flat out, I go, look, I have no, you know, I've, I gave you all my money. You sold me this car. This car is not working. And typical car sales guy, he goes, okay. And, and he had just gone on trade. A Renault Le Car. <laughs> he had a French Renault Le Car. Oh, orange. So. Orange Renault Le Car. And the typical set, he goes, I'll tell you what. I wanted $2,500 for Le Car. I'm going to take your car back. You give me $1,500. Add $500, and you can have the Renault Le Car. And I left for the Renault Le Car. <laughs> it's so I, great and that I, he stuffed it, you into a French car. Nobody in America oh, wanted. Oh, fucking so awesome. So I had an orange Renault Le Car. <laughs> I was 20 years old, and I would go to the beach, and I had my windsurf board on top of it, which were did twice. It have, did it have the soft top? The no, no, I had the hard, hard, okay. the hard body hard Renault Le Car. It said Le Car on the side. Yeah, big graphics on yeah. the side. Yeah, oh big graphics, with, uh, orange. With three lug wheels. And it, it was cool. <laughs> it was cool until one day I was on, the, on 280 going back to, toward Redwood City. And someone started honking at me, and the car was on fire. Oh, fuck. <laughs> the car was on fire. But, but it, and I just had time to pull over. I took my boards off the rooftop and took, dragged everything. Saved the boards. And saved the boards and watched my car just burn to the ground. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. And, uh, and then I bought a VW bus. There you go. Which all surfers do. Yeah. Eventually. And, and then the VW was cool because we could hang at the beach with it. If you had a girlfriend, you could lay back in the back of it. it was where, cool. where were you, where were you in, in, surfing in the uh, bay? No, I would No, so I was windsurfing in the bay. Yeah. The wind, okay. uh, you know, windsurfing. Yeah. And then we'd get over to the coast, Half Moon Bay, Waddell Creek, Santa wow. Cruz, Capitola. Yeah. We'd go surf over there when there was no wind. Wow, cool. Incredible life. So the Renault Lacar, uh, they sold alongside um, their very few years in America. Renault, when they had dealerships, they sold a Lacar, an Alliance, which was this little yes, sedan, yes, two-door, four-door. Yeah, yeah. And then they had a car called Fuego. Fuego, yeah. Which yeah. means fire. Yeah, Renault Fuego. And everyone's like, I'm not going <laughs> to buy a French car that's called fire because uh, hey, you know it might call fire. You know who bought and, one of those? And, and then yours got fire. You know who bought one of those? My dad, <laughs> he had a red Fuego. 
So you had a Pinto and a Fuego. Yeah, and and that fucking uh, four banger uh, Porsche. Oh, the 914. Yeah, the 914, yeah, which, which is which, probably cool which, now. Which is cool now as shit then. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> okay, you guys had a bunch of pieces of shit. So, yeah, I know the first few cars were rough, but... Uh, but see, the memory is great. The, oh, story, the story to the item usually trumps the item. Right. Yeah, right? yeah. The memory and the story is cooler no, I, I, than the... And it's, I have incredible memory. I don't have much memory about what happened last month at the restaurant, but I certainly have... All those years were so important to me. And, and, and while, you're, while you're at the, the surf shop and the, the restaurant, what's that next transition like, right? You're having fun. You're, what, so, 22? I'm, uh, I'm 20 years old. 20, 20 going on 20. Yeah, I'm 20 years old. And... I worked in a very successful windsurfing shop and, and, you know, my English has got a lot better and, and, and I'm selling and, and I, I was a good windsurfer. So there was a lot of competition. And so I knew what I was doing on the water. The sport of windsurfing was really starting in California, mm-hmm. but it was already big in Europe, had a strong sailing background. So now I'm sailing with some of the best guys in the Bay Area and, you know, I'm French and I've got an accent and, and I'm having fun and, you know, life is grand, right? And, and I met a couple guys at the beach and my best friend to date, um, Jeff James, had a, had a, agreed to have me as a roommate. We lived in Redwood City. We were drinking beers, uh, eating chips and guacamole all day. I mean, it, it was... It was grand. I mean, it, it was the best life. This is late 80s, like this is still, on top this, of the world. No, no, this is 86, 87. Yeah, okay, mid, couple, mid-80s. Couple years in America. And the windsurfing shop where I worked in, which was also a big ski shop, I noticed one guy... There was a guy that would come visit once or twice a month, and he would always, I knew his name was Mark, and, and he would go talk to the owner, and what blew me away about Mark is Mark was only a few years older than me. He was 22, 23, and he came into the shop with a Porsche 911. And for me, French guy in America, I, would, I, it was, I couldn't fathom that a guy my age, or close to it, could be driving a 911. So one day I went it, to the it's, owner. It's no car. Yeah. So I'm driving a little car. This guy's driving a 911. Right. So I went to the shop owner, Larry, and I said, this smart guy that comes in, what does he do? And he said, he's a sales rep. I never heard that term. I go, what's a sales rep? He said, well, he represents different manufacturers. We, we place orders with him for different brands than we have here. And the manufacturers ship us the goods. We, sell, we, we send them the money and he collects a commission. I can assure you that day I wanted to be a sales rep on commission. And so that's that, what, that conversation changed your life. It completely changed my life. It was, became my entire career. Got it. And, and sales rep commission. What? So you heard right, those just triggered, things. Triggered. Triggered. I have never worked for anything. From that day on, I left the shop a month later. And from a month later to now. I've never worked for anything else in commission. 100% I'm, commission. Yeah. What, what? Hey, you're, talking to, you're talking to two other dudes right? who are 100% our, commission. Our, yeah, we've spent our whole life on commission. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. What did you do in that month? Yeah. So Were I still, you like, what the fuck? I got to get out of here? No. Or so, did you, so I contact, as you do, you research shit? Uh, no, I contacted Mark, which is still one of my best <sighs> friends to date and lives in Laguna Beach. So Mark, fucking great. Of course. You say, so call this guy I up. I call Mark. What's and that say, conversation Mark, like? I said, Mark, you know me from the shop. I'm a good windsurfer. Could you use me in any way for free? He said, you know what? We do demos every weekend. And I'd been to a couple of the demos. He said, I can use you on the water to do demonstration of our product. 
and that's how I started. And then just like the free market, when I was selling the produce, even so I was just setting up, supposed to only set up the shop, he was like, you know, Laurent's kind of fired up about talking to retailer. And then he said, why don't I send you on the road? And so I started working with Mark. And what happened, which, and this is typical America, is that about six months into it, one manufacturer in particular said, and met me, and they quickly realized, Laurent's the guy that we want as a sales rep. Right, little standout action. Yes, so they, came, they went to me and said, we want you to be our sales rep in Northern California. For what company? Simmer Style. Simmer Style. Windsurfing sales and, 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 and out of Maui. Okay. Very cool, high-end product, kind of like the Ferrari of windsurfing sales. Still in business? I'm sorry? Are they still in business? Of course. Okay. Yeah, Klaus Simmer, the owner, is one of my best friends. Oh, shit. That's fucking great. <laughs> I'm very, um, the people back then at all different level um, are still my f- best friends. I-, I don't walk away from people that easy. Right. I really don't. That's so, why one of my lines now, you know, a lot of people are like trying to be friends now. And I said, you know, I'm 56 years old. I don't need new friends. Mm-hmm. I have the, my real friends. Man, I say it all the time. I don't need friends. I, no, have, I, mean, I have friends. I have friends. Yeah. Right. It's hard enough to see them all and to see all, you know, we, we have kids in some cases, grandkids and weddings. And I, I can't, mm-hmm. I want to spend time with my friends. Yeah the, yeah. the people that you want to spend time with. Yeah. yeah. It's short. So, so. You're, you start selling these this guy's sales, mm-hmm. and how does that start? Commission. Okay. I'm a commission guy. Right. So what happened is, so I went to Maui to meet with those guys. Oh, oh yeah. They, they, said, they brought you over. Yes. Wow. Go to Maui. And then once I, go to, once I got to Maui, they introduced me to a couple other manufacturers, then saw boards and everything, custom boards and so on, and said, Laurent's the guy we trust, and he's going to sell our product in California. And, and they set me up with other brands. And so I came back from Maui with three very hard brands of product. And I was set up on my own automatically with and my you have, you have like an exclu- exclusive? Yeah. yeah, I was the sales rep. I was the, and so then what they said, they said, well, we want you to do the whole state. And they, keep in mind that Southern California, there wasn't much windsurfing because there wasn't a lot of wind right. down here. So 80% of the business was in Northern California. And they said, oh, if you're going to be our rep in Northern California, just take the whole state. I said, sure. And being <laughs> French, new, everybody, and all I wanted to do is conquer the West. Right. You know, no, no wife, no parents, no, no nothing. So driving away from the house and going on the road for two, three or four weeks was beautiful. And so I started driving from San Francisco down to San Diego on the coast, PCH. Dude, and are I'd, you kidding? And like, I'd, how magical is that? And I would visit shop diligently. So I'd pull into a town, San Luis Obispo. I'd go uh, diligently do the same thing. Go to the payphone booth, right? I mean, this is in the 80s, right? Phone book it. Yellow pages, sporting goods, rip the yellow page because it had all the address and everything, and go knock on doors, go see the shops. And then I'd meet guys that were just as passionate as me about windsurfing. And then I'd talk to them about my product. And then at 2 or 3 o'clock, I'd say, I'd ask them, what's the local spot? Well, the local spot is Cayucos. Let's drive there and go windsurfing. And we'd sell until dark. And we drink uh, Coronas and eat chips and guacamole, and I get an order. Fuck, dude! Right. You're, you're you're windsurfing. They're having fun. Yeah. You're closing deals. Yeah, you're soft selling. And I mean, board shorts and a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. 
flip-flops, long hair, bandana. And, and is this still the 80s, late 80s? Yeah, this is 80, 86, 87, 88. 88. Yes. Are you making money? Of course I am. Like like money, money? Yeah, so as a matter of fact... Um, like, do you buy a new Lacar? No, no, I bought... You know what? <laughs> okay, I bought a brand new Dodge Caravan, $14,000. You bought a minivan? Yes. To put all carry your shit, all the in, shit in it. And, and, and did you write a check or did you put it on the drip? No, I paid for it $14,000. I'd uh-huh. saved. Oh, geez. Yeah. No, I, that's one thing. Even 40 years into America, I'm still not a very strong believer in credit. That's, I like to, that's a European. Well, that's a, I like actually to own a, my toys. Yeah, yeah that's a everybody but American mindset. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. Outside so, of America, people want to. Do you still have a roommate? <laughs> no, my wife. No, no, no at, at that time. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, so you, yeah, buy, yeah, yeah. You, you and your buddy are, are still sharing a, pl- yes. a place. Yeah, yeah. Fun. So I still have a roommate. No, actually, my, the roommate's different. It's a different roommate. It's a French guy. I live in South San Francisco. Um, I'm driving is a that, Do- Is that Daly City? Yeah, right, right on top of the airport yep. right there, Daly City. Yep. But on top of it is South San Francisco, which on the other side. That commu- kind of cliffy looking yeah. thing. Yeah, and then you got Pacifica on the other side and the ocean and so on. And so you're you're... You're, you're living the American dream already. I'm very much living the American dream. And, and were you, you're aware of it. Like you're oh, like, yeah. you're and like, I, dude, I'm writing checks for cars. And, I'm surfing. And, I, and I, I'm, I'm going back to friends to visit my family and, and I'm, I'm in heaven and yeah. to them, they either I'm nuts. in Paris or I'm visiting my brother and my family on the West coast of France. I mean, you know, it's 1980. I'm coming from California mm-hmm. and I mean, it's, it's a big deal. I mean, for, fast forward 40 years, and when you land in Paris, you're like, I'm from California. People go, wow. Imagine 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I'm just... So you're a fucking rock star when you go home. And, and also, I happen to be in a sport that is huge in Europe, and I'm working and competing in Maui and San Francisco with the people that I pictured in the magazines. Right. You know, I'm working and being friends with the biggest name in the business. And to my friends in France, they're like, yeah, they're like Laurent's a rock star. You're right. Awesome. They mention a, somebody's name and you're like, oh yeah, yeah I was yeah, with yeah. him. I, was, yeah, well, I, yeah. Surfed, I surfed with him on Tuesday. I mean, I'm in France, but then last month I, I'm telling my French friends from high school that I'm hanging with at the beach. Then I just came back from Maui. And they're like Maui, Hawaii. Which is like Mars. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're like looking Well, that's Mecca for windsurfing. Yeah. It's so fucking windy. Yeah. So, so it, it's, it's, it's incredible. The windsurfing business is incredible. The commissions are rolling. Yeah. And I'm just having a blast. And, 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 and when, 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 you were doing, when you were doing that, did you work for them? No. And they paid you or I'm, you're independent contractor? I'm independent contractor. Okay. I've never worked for... A, so you've worked for yourself. I work for myself. As a matter of fact, um, in about 87 or 88, I, I needed to do my taxes and I uh, went to a CPA. Um, someone told me, hey, contact this guy. He'll, do, he'll help you do your taxes. And the one thing the guy said, he said, I'll help you do your taxes. But when you leave out of here, you need to go to the bank and you need to open a business account. You need to separate your personal life to your business life because... That's just the way it is as an independent. So I said, okay, I'll go back. So I went to Bank of America where I had a person, I had one bank account and the guy makes me fill up the paperwork and he looks at me and he goes, what's your DBA? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, what are you doing business as? And, and, you know, I had to answer quickly. Right. He needs a name of a company. I'm thinking like most foreigners, I'm living the American dream. 
but I can't call it the American dream. It's cliche, right? So I looked at the guy, I go, big dreams, just like that. Big dreams. I have big dreams, call it big dreams. And my company, and I incorporated in, in the mid nineties under big dreams, Inc. And my rep agency, which became fairly large, became known as big dreams incorporated. I love it. Do you remember the name of the guy at the bank? No, no, no. <laughs> no but I, no. I, I remember the first Ferrari I sold Laurent back in 03. Yes. And I sold it to Big Dreams Inc. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fucking awesome. Big Dreams Inc. And I'm like, what's this scam? <laughs> how, how, how long do you stick with the windsurfing? So the sport, is, the sport was growing, growing, growing. But um, it was kind of a coincidence. So in 1988, a lot of us in the winter, in the windsurfing business, you know, we didn't have much going on. and it got cold in San Francisco. Yeah. So we all headed down to Baja, okay, um, to a place called Los Bailes, which is north of Cabo San Lucas. And we headed down there with our vans and, and caravans and full of toys. And, and we go down there for two months at a time to windsurf our brains out. There was a couple competitions. We take the girls with us. I mean, it was heaven. Heaven. So Jeez. that winter, I go down there. I'm down there for a month, and I, and, and I got hurt. So instead of spending 10 or 12 weeks down there, I had to go back because I had been hit by a needlefish through mm -hmm. my calf. So, I mean, I was really hurt. I needed to go back to San Diego, being driven to San Diego, 20-hour drive, oh, hospital, taken care of, you know. So long story short, now I'm back in the Bay Area in February, 89, and with nothing to do. And I'm actually walking around with a cane, you know. And a lot of the windsurfing shop that I know of, uh, my buddies, uh, oh, you're back in town. Yeah, I'm back. Yeah, Baja, blah, blah, blah. And they're all heading to Las Vegas and never been to Las Vegas. There was no reason for me to go to Las Vegas. I'm 22 years old. I'm five years in, four years into the U.S. And there's no windsurfing in Vegas. So I'd never been to Las Vegas, but I'd heard of Las Vegas. And I'm like, why are you guys going to Vegas? They go, well, we're going to the ski convention, the largest ski convention, SIA, the largest ski snow sport of America trade show is in Las Vegas. And the winter before I had gone to Lake Tahoe for three days and started snowboarding. Mm -hmm. I tried it out. Someone had loaned me a snowboard and because I was attracted to surf and windsurfing and all that, I had tried snowboarding. I was, I never skied before. I wasn't a snow guy, but I tried it. Snowboards then were, were like unknown, practically I mean, yeah, very, 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 very niche, the, very niche. The, Resort I skied at in high school in the 80s, if you showed up with a snowboard, they'd kick you up. Yeah, yeah. It was like showing up with a, yeah. a spaceship. Yeah. You weren't so, allowed there. So all those big sporting goods stores and windsurfing shop and surf shop and ski shops that we're doing business with, we're heading to Vegas. And I'm like, I have nothing better to do. I'm going to go to Las Vegas. And then in the back of my head, I'm like, you never know. At the ski show, there might be some snowboard companies that could use my help, right? Mm -hmm. but, but it was just... I just wanted to check Vegas. I wanted to go to Las Vegas. I'd heard of Las Vegas, just like uh, I'd heard of Maui, and, and I went, you know. So I show up in Vegas, first day of the convention. I walk into this convention. I'd been to windsurfing show. I'd been to action sport retailer many times. That was the big surf show in San Diego, and then moved to Long Beach. And Anyway, now I'm at a ski show. Big companies, glitzy, like a car show. Yeah. Rossignol, Salomon, all the, all the big European brands. I'm walking around for a couple hours, and then I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, parallel uh, hall, smaller hall. And all of a sudden I'm in front of a booth and there are snowboards on the wall. And what really struck my, my, my mind, my attention is there was a little pedestal with a TV, with a television, with a VCR. And there was a snowboarding, snowboarding flick. And I'd never seen snowboarding on television. 
So I'm standing in the aisle just staring at the screen of a bunch of dudes with long hair riding powder, mm-hmm. which was very different than the snowboarding I'd done in Lake Tahoe. I'm like, wow, that, that's cool. That's like next level. And the next thing, there's a guy next to me with dark hair, long hair, dark hair, a little older than me. He's looking at the flick and he goes, uh, you're a snowboarder? I go, of course. At the time, and I always tell this to my employees now, when the yes business, you say yes, and then you turn around and figure it out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Don't start by saying no. <laughs> right? right. Oh, that's great. Right. Say yes. And then be quick on your feet. So I'm in front of a booth, didn't know anything about it, but the guy that I was talking to was Jake Burton, mm-hmm. Jake Burton Carpenter. And he picked up on my accent right away. He's like, oh, you're, so you're a snowboarder. Where are you from? I said, I'm from France. He goes, you live in France? I said, no, I live in the Bay Area. I live in San Francisco. And he goes, oh, I'm learning to speak French. And there was a coffee card. He goes, can I buy you a cup of, cup of coffee? And we speak French. I said, sure. Buys me a cup of coffee. We sit down. He goes, so um, what do you do? I said, I'm a sales rep. I sell windsurfing products in California. Some of the best brands in Hawaii, from Hawaii and, and so on. And I go, what do you do? He goes, well, I own this company right here, Burton Snowboards out of Vermont. Mm-hmm. And, I, and right there. I was like, uh, do you have a sales rep? He goes, what's a sales rep? <laughs> so he was just starting? No, he'd been around for 10 years, but oh. he was working out of a, with a mail order catalog out of a barn. And I, and I go, well, so you're here with this little booth here. He goes, well, we're trying to establish a dealer network. And I go, well, to establish a dealer network out west where snowboarding's kind of taken off, you might want to consider having a sales rep. And he goes, well, how does that work? I said, well, you hire a guy like me, for an example, in a specific territory. I take a couple of samples. I go show them around to the ski shops and windsurfing shops in the Bay Area. You ship them. Eventually, they pay for them, and you pay me a commission. If I don't sell anything, you don't pay me nothing. He goes, "Why? Well, I, I can't have any more employees. I said, I'm not an employee of yours. I'm an independent contractor, 1099. Okay? So we, we and he wants to do this whole conversation in French. So I we're talking, it. yeah, we're going so back and fucking great. So we're talking, we spent an hour together and he goes, you know what? It's, it's super interesting. Let me think about it. Let's have coffee again tomorrow. Okay. So I'm walking the entire show the following morning, nine o'clock. I walk up to him. He goes, let me buy you coffee. He goes, okay. So you said something about the territory. I said, well, yeah, I mean, the territory to start with would be really Northern California. That's why I'm based out of Lake Tahoe, you know, Northern California would be the right territory. And then he goes, well, what about commissions? I say, well, commission, in our world, there's what's called hard goods and soft goods. You know, soft goods usually is apparel and, and all that, accessories, it'll be more, and hard goods is a little less. I said, it hovers between 7 and 10%. I said, and I said, I think we should shake hands on 8%. <laughs> the assumptive close. Well done, sir. We shook hands on 8%. Um, that was February 1989. So I'd been in the U.S. for five years. So five years, almost to the date. Yeah, yeah. And uh, in the following 23 years, I built the largest independent rep agency, not only for burden in the world, but in the entire action sport. Do you know how many snowboards you sold? Over the years? Mm-hmm. I'd like to, I'd like to know that number. Well, I mean, Burton became a huge thing, and I represented. Burton became the best. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, in my, in you met met Steve Jobs is who you met. Well, I met the Steve Jobs of snowboarding. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. But I met interesting thing about Steve Jobs because I live in Palo Alto now. I I own a house in Palo Alto, and and my favorite restaurant in Palo Alto back in the day was Alfonayo. And you know, keep in mind, I was always going on the road. 
I was on the road for a week at a time, two weeks at a time, and I'd come home in Palo Alto, and I'd pull in on University Avenue to Alfonayo, because I loved sitting at the marble counter and ordering pasta, and the Italian guys were there, blah, blah, blah. And Steve Jobs, which lived two blocks away, would diligently, almost every night, order food to go and come in and pick it up on rollerblades. <laughs> Dork. Yes. And dork. to us, surfers, skateboarders, snowboarders, oh, kiss you could, death. anyone on rollerblade oh, was gay. Oh, right. and, but I was attracted by computer, you know, and, and I knew who Steve Jobs was. And Steve Jobs was a big, not as big of a deal, but he was, a, I mean, we knew. It, right. We it knew was still him. that was the dude from Apple on rollerblade picking up two little plastic bags to go <laughs> and going back two blocks away to his house. So, so when you leave, when you leave Vegas, you go back, you have a deal with yeah, Burton. With Burton. What, do you, do you stop selling snowboards or sorry, windsurfers? No, 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 no. I'm, 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 like, I'm coming back. I'm, I'm, he's I, got, he's got both seasons covered, dude. I've got both seasons covered, but keep in mind, I mean, I'm a windsurfer at heart. Yeah. My windsurfing business is really good. I just got. How, how much money are you making a year selling windsurfing? So boots? when I started with Burton. Yeah. Okay. So in 1989, I'm probably making. I'm. I'm clearing out myself. Let's call it sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year. Okay. I'm 22 years old. Enough. Enough. You're just rolling. To have you're fucking, rolling. This is in the 80s. Yeah. No, you're rolling. I'm driving my Dodge Caravan. Um, I had put. Uh, I had put a down payment. I own a, a townhouse in Sunnyvale, California. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first purchase. I bought. A, I bought a townhouse for two hundred twenty-five thousand wow. dollars. Yeah, I was stoked. What's that thing worth now? Well, I'm Sunnyvale. Two? No, no. This was a ton out. I'd say a million. Jesus. Yeah. Was there was there a uh, besides a sensible purchase like shelter? Was there any like I'm buying something? I'm buying not a Ferrari, but I'm buying a so, Porsche. Or I'm okay, buying so a let's watch. Go, I'm okay, buying no, this. but you okay? I'm glad you were going back in time a little bit. So remember my you know Mark Miller, Laguna Beach friend of mine. Yeah. Um. So the first rep I met and and so on. No, I went independent. We split up, no problem. About two years about being a rep on my own. Mark called me one day. And so we had become competitors, but we're very friendly competitors. He represented brands. I represented brands. I think about two years into it, he called me one day. He said, oh, I want to sell my 911. I bought his 911. That was my first sports car. (laughs) $9,000. So you bought the car that got you into the commission sales business. Yes, I bought the car. And the first thing I did, I drove the car a little bit. It was a a 1974 911 Targa. And the first thing I did is I ordered one of those 930 kits. The flares. The flares and, and the slant <laughs> the slant and everything. And I found a guy in South San Francisco which took my car forever and modified <laughs> it and to make it to make it like look like a nine thirty turbo right. slant nose with the little louvers on the side. It was oh, kind of, oh my gosh. gosh. Yeah. Uh, yes. uh, it was a body kit called like Blackburn and yeah, Daily. Something like that. Yeah. 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 So that was my first deal. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and the nine 11, um, I, I don't remember exactly, um, uh, from the nine 11 target, I think my second sports car, I, I know it was a Lotus turbo Esprit. Oh, God. oh shit. White. Pearl white. Of course. <laughs> yeah, James Bond, baby. James Bond. So Lotus, per, yeah, Lotus. Uh, was it a piece of shit? I, you know what? I loved it. It was pearl white, and, and the seats were blue. It was like a, like a magenta, kind of like your polo, you know, and leather. 
yeah, it looked like it looked like Roger Moore. I mean, I yeah, just, yeah. Awesome. you know, remember, I'm a French kid in California, and and everything for me, the, those cliche, you know, the the 9/11, and then the Lotus Turbo Esprit, and then after the Lotus Turbo Esprit, um, I bought. I, all of a sudden, I'm a you know I'm a businessman, right? I'm a sales rep. I'm like, I got to be a little more serious than that. So I sold that, and I bought myself a, a BMW. 635 CSI. Oh, triple, yeah. Triple black. Cool. Great car. Great car. BBS wheel. Shark. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I bought that and, and, you know, I'm 22 years old and uh, that's, you know, that was remember, like a, that was like an adult car. Yeah. And I remember I'm driving a Dodge Caravan to the beach with all my windsurfing product <laughs> all over it, my samples. And at night I'm hanging in downtown Palo Alto with the Porsche then the Lotus, then eventually the BMW 635. Right. And then, um, then I bought um, the, one of the few cars I'll ever regret having sold, a 1989 triple black 911 Speedster. Mm. Oh, oh dude. Like, yeah. Yeah. One year only. Yeah. Limited production. Quarter million dollar car today. Yeah. Skyrocketing Bought it for 50, value. sold it for 50. I love that dude, car. if you kept it, you'd be rich. With a little cable. <laughs> yeah. With a, with a little cable to open the tuck in the little roof and slant it. Uh, and love that car. Yeah, great car. But cool car. Really cool car, but being French, making money, you can't get away from the brand. Mm. And the brand will always be Ferrari. Yeah. Okay. And it didn't matter how pristine those cars had. I, I was dreaming about owning a Ferrari. And, um, and as a matter of fact, when I met Jake Burton, and this was very important to me because being an action sport where everything was about being cool and correct. Right. Very important. Cool Very and correct. Important. Now, I'm good on the water. I'm good in the mountains. I'm good with all that. But deep down, I know that I'm a, I'm a sales guy. I'm a salesman, and I'm a good salesman. And I want to be, I always want to walk the fine. I'm, 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 I'm now, I'm in, a, I'm in a world where you've got to be productive, but you've got to be cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. You don't want to be too much of a salesman, and you certainly don't want to be too cool. Well, and you don't want to be, as, as a professional sales guy, you don't want to be a customer either, right? You, you want the guy you're selling to, to to not think you're an equal or an above her. Exactly. So It's a fine line, man. When I sold, an, the, uh, when I sold the Speedster, I really want to, and my windsurfing business now is booming. It's, uh, it's 89 and it's growing and, and snowboarding is nothing. I just got the thing from, with Burton. But the one thing I told Jake Burton when I met him, so, so after the Las Vegas, we agreed that I would be his rep. And then a month later, I flew to Vermont to go meet with him over there, visit the factory and so on. And I said in the conversation there, because I never wanted it to be a problem because I was so passionate about sports cars and all this. You know, I said, hey, Jake, I just want you to understand and you to know I have a Ferrari in my garage and I hope that's never becoming a problem. I don't drive a Ferrari to go represent brands at accounts, but I just want you to know I have a, I'm 22 years old and I have a Ferrari in my garage, which was the case. What happened is six months prior, I had bought my first 308. <laughs> yeah. I bought a, a Ferrari 308 white on red. Yeah. So you were making money. 
Yeah, for for a kid, uh, for a 23 year I mean, to buy a Ferrari, yes. you, you know, even though you don't have a, a whole bunch of bills yeah. or shit and, like and, that. And, and, and no. What, what was a 308? 50 in, grand. 50 I paid grand. 50 okay. grand for it. I sold a Speedster for 50 and bought, I might have sold a Speedster between 40 and 50. And I, I just spent a little bit more and I bought, and I was all, that was always the way I thought. Mm-hmm. You know, I bought a $20,000 car and had fun with it, whatever. And then, and then all of a sudden I had five or $10,000 more and I sold it correctly, bought something up. And that's what I did. But I, I always wanted to own the car because it was my second car. It was my weekend car. And, and, it, and there was no way. I was still very French at heart about this. The, it, plus, the financing thing to me made no sense. I, I just wasn't a financing type of guy. I mean, right. If you I couldn't just, afford it, you couldn't I buy it. The only thing right. I financed was my, my townhouse, period. End of story. So now I have, I have this 308, and I, I loved it. I love this 308. I bought it at Ferrari of Los Gatos from a guy named Larry Raphael, English guy. And uh, he, was a, he was around forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, forever. And I would visit him and I talk, and the guy was super cool. He would always, I, I was a kid. I was, you know, I would go talk to him about cars. And then one day I walked up to him and I said, I want to buy this Ferrari right there for 50 grand. And I bought it. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. What did Burton say about? Uh, so there was no problem. He said, okay, no, just no, transparent. Yeah, right? yeah, transparent. I was very transparent about it. And then, and then the, you know, the business grew and, and, um, I have and, a question. What the, as the business grew, was it just Laurent or was it employees? So I, I hired, I quickly hired, um, a couple people. Um, in 1990, I hired someone to, I, I took a little, uh, office in, uh, in downtown Palo Alto. I had a little office no, actually my first office was in Mountain View tiny little office. I hired a girl to answer the phone, deal with the computer, you know, fax machine, the orders. I mean, we, we had to, you know, I wanted You're to be on the road. scaling up. Yeah. So I hired a girl to run the office all day. And then I hired a guy, okay, to go on the road and to kind of split up with me and to do some of the clinics because when the, sh- when the, when the snowboards would ship to the stores, someone would have to go talk to the shop employees, how to sell them, to do clinics. So, so I hired another, and, 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 and it, it, it scaled, 89, 90, 90, 90, 90, 91, 92. All of a sudden, the snowboarding thing is growing so big. I'm like, I got to leave. I got to let windsurfing go. And, and I let windsurfing go in 1994. Because you knew. I just knew. Then yeah. snowboarding, I just like, this, this, is, this, is, this thing is going to be big. And I got to put all my eggs in that basket. And, and you had still just Northern, Northern California? Northern California, yeah, until 1999. And so what happened in 19... So, and, so, and did employees scale up? Did you keep getting more and more employees? No, no? so Northern you California... Stayed, you stayed I, lean six, and small. I stayed lean and mean. I had six employees year-round, okay? Six employees. Um, 1994, 1995, 1996, and then in 96, 97, um, I told Bernard, hey, I'm going to open a showroom, a burn showroom in downtown San Francisco. And they were like, what's a showroom? And the reason why I wanted to open a showroom is I was invited a couple months prior at a party at the Levi's, Levi's is out of San Fran, at the Levi's showroom at the Fashion Center in downtown San Francisco, 8th and Brennan. Um, I was invited to this incredible party. I thought I was in, in the Levi's showroom. And as I'm talking around, they go, no, the Levi's rep, that's his showroom. And it's just, I was like, right. that makes sense. Right. When your line, when your brand becomes a big brand, when your line of product becomes so wide, then you can no longer take it into account. You should probably have a showroom. So I said to Bern, I'm going to open. You control it then. Yes. I said, I'm going to do a showroom. 
because the accounts, accounts want to buy burn. They'll come to the showroom. We have so much product for them to see. I need to capture them for four or five hours, not being in their stores, not being at a trade show. They'll come to me. Instead of you going to them all along the coast, yes, and now I, they come to you. Exactly. And I'll have them. Remember with burn, we sold the line once a year. We presented it from January to end of March, turned in all the orders. From August to November, it would ship. From November to January, they'd pay for it, and I'd get my commissions. My commission would be paid a year later on payment, not on shipment, and not on sales. Right, right. Zero risk for right. the manufacturers. No, but you could take all the sales you want, but you don't know what you're getting paid Exactly, on. and you never <laughs> know if the manufacturer is going to ship. Are they going to ship correctly? Are they going to ship it, the whole thing, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I, I, but I reinvested, in, and Burton was blown away that I would do the showroom. They were like, and so I set it up. And what started as a two months a year showroom for the selling cycle became a year round showroom in San Francisco. And eventually I grew the building. So I partnered up with someone and bought a building in Alameda and I opened a beautiful 12,000 square foot burden showroom. Being on the other side of the bay allowed people from Reno, Sacramento to come to me, coming into the, to San Fran was a pain. And just people in the trade or? or Only people in the trade. No retail. No retail. people in the trade. Okay. People in the trade. We didn't, no consumers. What, what about friends and family? Of course. Ah, friends fucking and family, awesome, dude. Course. How about being in the fucking, yeah. in the know at that time? We had huge parties, huge right. parties, being in the huge know. events. And you know, the, and on the side, what became a really big, fun business, I started developing sample sales, which exists around here. Sure. Yeah, huge Ruka, around sample here. sample sales. You know, there was, uh, there, was just, uh, there was just a Ruka one yeah. last week. Yeah, Ruka, mm-hmm. Volcom, whatever. So I started developing sample sales because being an independent sales rep, I had to buy my sample line. And as Burn grew, grew I'm mean, talking crazy growth, the line got so big and Burn also started other brands, kids brand, women's brand, cool brands, whatever. A sample line got to be over a hundred grand a year. And the next thing, it was a quarter million dollars a year. Jeez. Out of your pocket. Of course. Up okay. front. Off my commissions. Up, up front. No, off my commissions. Oh, okay. 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 So they ship you all the samples. I mean, truckloads. And then off a year later, off your commission, samples, minus mm-hmm. 200 grand. Here's a check for 300 grand, minus 200. Here's 100. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Big chunk. You quickly learn to resell samples. And my sample business became so beneficial to me. And, and the other reps in the rest of the, you know, keep in mind that Bird hired reps all over the country now. So, so uh, because of I you. I was the first independent Because of rep. you. I, I, I want to go back a little bit. When did you, did you become, so you're just in San Fran area, right? Yes. And then how, do you take over the state? Okay, so this is what happened. So 1989, I'm the do, first. Do you take over the world? Well, no. how, my, <laughs> how, how much of the United States did you take over? In my head, I do. In, I was independent. Okay, so in 89, Northern California, for the first two years, okay. I was the only independent rep for Burton. Right. I had Northern California as a territory, okay? But about a year and a half later, Burton started calling guys, they call me and say, hey, Laurent, would you happen to know, and windsurfing was a really big thing, right? Hey, Laurent, don't you have a windsurfing sales rep friend that could handle that brand in the Northwest, mm-hmm. Seattle? I said, of course I do. Let's call Daryl. Hey, do you have a friend in Chicago, in the Midwest, that could handle Burton Snowboard in the Oh, yeah, let's call Clark. So I plugged in all my windsurfing friends because windsurfing was a big, big sport. And, and, you know, a dozen of us in the U.S. had all the cool brands. Right. So now I'm the Burton rep. On, and keep in mind, Burton is that little winner thing I have 
but burn, which I've got a great relationship with, starting to grow a little. And they're like, well, we could use another couple of reps in other key territories. Are you are you getting a taste of no, this? No, no. You're just you're just I'm helping. just like being I'm, a buddy. I'm being a buddy, both sides. I'm helping Jake. I'm helping my buddy in Seattle or whatever, becoming burn sales rep overnight. Okay. So, so two years in, you're like, hmm. Yeah. So that's that's growing, but I'm 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 cool. I'm in Northern California. My agency's doing great. I'm living large. Um, I own now a house in Palo Alto. Um, I have, uh, no, the yellow 355 was a little later on. Um, I sold the, I sold the, uh, I sold the 308. Um, uh, I forgot what happened. I got into Porsches, brand new Porsches. It was easy. Brand new 911 always worked, you know, yeah. right out of the catalog. Um, and in 1999, life is grand. And Jake calls me one day and he goes, look, do you, in, in the summer, after the selling season was done in the spring, a lot of us would just go to Hawaii, go to Europe, go to wherever, you know. Um, I had left the windsurfing business in 1994. So now I'm the burn rep in every other brands we represent in Northern California, Western Nevada. And, and that's it. That's it. I'm working seven Just months that- out of the year and fucking around for five. And, and, got you're, plenty of money. And, and you're crushing. I'm crushing. I've got cash. I'm in France, blah, 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 living large, right? And Jake calls me, he goes, are you on your way to France as always in the, in the next few weeks for, to play? I go, yeah. He goes, would you mind stopping in Vermont? Stop in Vermont. Let's hang at the house because we're surfing on the lake, Lake Champlain. I want to talk to you about a couple of things. So I said, sure. I stopped in Vermont, picks me up. Following day, we, you know, we, we stayed at his house. In the, and Burn is big now. I mean, Burn is yeah. everywhere 1999, worldwide. 1999, oh, 1999. Yeah. He goes, you've been with me 10 years. You were the first independent rep. I like the way you've done things. The showroom thing in San Fran has become the norm all over the world. Now, the other, th- in parallel of that, Bernard sent me all over the world uh, as, on a, as an independent guy. They would pay me to go. I went to Europe. I went to Japan. They liked the way I did my agency. Mm-hmm. Okay. As an independent, and that's what the model they wanted all over the world. So as a buddy, they like Laurent. Jake would go to, uh, want to go to Japan on me for 10 days. First class, best hotels. The Japanese guys will pick you up. You just, every night you do a little speech and you tell them how to do it. How to set up a showroom. How to set up accounts. Right. How to do business. How to travel. How to hire. How to hire reps, sub reps, merchandisers, technicians. So I did that. And so fast forward 10 years, 1999, Jay calls me, stop in Vermont. The following day we're in the office. He goes, look, you've been with me 10 years. Love the way you do things in Northern California. I want you to take the whole West. I'm like, Jake, the whole West. I mean, there's hundreds of retailers. In Northern California, I was the rep. I had six employees, but I was the rep. Every door would see me. I would, I would lay things up with the orders, the season, blah, blah, blah. And I had a bunch of people taking care of the details. I'm looking at Jake going, Jake, I mean, what are we talking about? He goes, well, from the Canadian border to the Mexican border, take all the Western states. I'm say, I said, well, I can't be the rep. There's no, physically, I cannot see all those stores, all those right. doors. But, you know, some, some sporting, Copeland Sports, Sports Chalet, Pacific Sunwear, oh, hundreds of doors. Yeah. He goes, no, I want you to be a super rep. He came up with that. A super rep. A super rep. I'm like, <laughs> a distributor. What's, no. Distributor, you own the merchandise. Uh. No, he said, I want you to be a super rep. He said, keep hiring the same kind of people you have. Do what you do, but do it bigger. Do it bigger and manage them. Be a super rep. And, he, and he said this because everybody else compared to the San Francisco region wasn't performing. 
they were performing. People wanted to buy burn, but Jake was sharp. Okay, a couple things. Southern California was becoming a very big deal in snowboarding. And some of our biggest competitors, not by the numbers, but by the hype, were coming out of Southern California. Draw Ride, Forum. Yep. Those brands were coming out of Orange County garages. Yep. And they, were, they had the buzz. They had a buzz. And, and this is before social media. So the course. buzz is organic and it's real. And Burton, out of Vermont, which is doing huge numbers worldwide, you know, Jake's like, we can't be not cool. Right. We, right? Man, it's, only, it's, 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 it's just the cool business. Yeah, but cool. it's, so, it's so hard to chase cool. Exactly. It's so hard I mean, to create cool. Fr- French chase. guy. Yeah. French guy. So cool. Jake goes, look. How long are you going to France for? I say, I'm going for three weeks. He said, just think about it. Just think about it and think of, and on your way back, stop by in Vermont and sh- offer me a solution. He, he fucking closed you right yeah. there. So I went to France. I thought about it. I came back, stopped in Vermont. I did a presentation to him. And this is typical America. Remember, by then, there's now independent reps all over. Mm-hmm. By the time he put me on the flight, a couple of days later, it was, I always flew out of Burlington, Vermont at 5 o'clock through Chicago, which would land me in San Fran at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. He put me at the airport at 5 o'clock. By the time I landed in San Francisco, they had fired every independent rep in the Western United States. Wow. <laughs> but but he, he knew you. You guys probably had a good enough, I'm just speculating, but a good enough relationship that he probably knew you well enough that yeah. as soon as you showed up in Vermont and he planted that yeah. seed. Oh, yeah. It was, no, no, it was done. No, no, it was done. It was done because he knew. He knew your drive. Your challenge and the drive. The challenge, the drive, the competition. Um, and he knew the, the big difference between uh, me and a lot of other reps at the time is, is I would always invest. I would take my commission. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I did is made my showroom bigger, hired more people, buy more trucks. And sales reps don't do that. Right. They take the commissions and run home with it. Right. right. They figure out how much I can't spend. Yes. But I was, I wanted to be bigger, you know, and, and, and being a foreigner and, and I, you know, I was now, I was in the, I was in the, in the Mecca of action sport, California. Mm-hmm. I represented one of the biggest brand, well-known, you know, Burden, Quicksilver, Volcom. I mean, and it was a big deal. And, and so I had to show that I belonged. And I, you know, and, and, and it's, 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 and Jake, Jake put that in me and put that in a few other people. You know, Jake was very competitive. Jake was number one, and we were not about to get number two close to us Got as it. a brand. So as his number one sales rep, I, I had the same mentality. He's, what if, he's, he's pretty rare in an entrepreneur that can be an entrepreneur and create an object or a, or, or a product and then run a company for longevity that grows and dominates. Yes. And Usually it, the entrepreneur can't do that. No, and keep it private. And kept, kept it private. Kept it private, private because he was that kind of a guy. Most guys, when they're good with a product, at one point they need to let it go because the business. Yeah, they don't know what they're doing. They're, they're you know, they might be visionaries. No, Jake, Jake had it all. And so out. this is 1998. You take over. So as 1999, a super- I took over as a super rep. So do you know as a super rep, which is a funny word, right? Do yeah. you know, do you know like oh fuck, this is a game changer. Yeah, but I'm, I'm super committed. You know, I'm super, I'm, I'm still single. No, you're hungry as shit. I'm hungry as shit, and, and I'm that's single. Why he, that's why he did it. Yeah. That's why he knew, and, and he he knew, knew that. that. He, he knew, knew that. I'm single, I'm hungry. I, I want to conquer. I want to I I all the, own all the dealers, and I'll fight for one more board. 
one more snowboarder. Right. I just and and I'm aggro after the competitor, the com- competition, and and because I'm single and and you know I've I've got all the time in the world. I, I can be everywhere at once, and I'm everywhere, and I'm hiring good people. I'm hiring kids out of shops, making them sales rep, buying them brand new Toyota Tundras, credit card. I'm gonna go on the road with you for three days. I'm gonna introduce you to your top twenty retailers. Then I'm gonna give you an Excel spreadsheet. There's a hundred retailers on there. There's a hundred doors. Those hundred doors, you service. Mm-hmm. But I and I would pick guys that were like me ten years prior in the shop, passionate guys, guys. Then for ten years, I talked snowboarding about, uh, you know, burden. And 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 what? How how fast did it expand or explode? Well, it, it kept, you know, in, 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 in 2000, 2001, it, we, had a, we had a crisis, you know, September 11th, 01, 02. But we never, we could never put a ceiling on it. And we, we always thought we hit ceiling. And then the following year, sales would grow by 30%. Wow. And, and it blew up all over to 07, 07, 08, um, right as the crisis of 08 happened which did not affect us that much because Burton was an incredible brand. But we lost some retailers and so on. But the, the, the pinnacle of it for me, just to put things in perspective, um, so the first year I sold Burton Snowboard in Northern California, mm-hmm. okay, in 1989, I took orders for about 90 grand worth of product, which represented about $7,000, $8,000 of commission, give mm-hmm. and take, right? In 0708, in a single cycle, I sold $120 million of snowboards. <laughs> wow. Yeah. How, did, you, did you make any uh, sales guys millionaires? Not with Burton. No. But later, with, I've got another side story, my watch story. Okay, so, okay, so <laughs> 2000, I'm trying to think, 2009 was your last year with Burton? Or did no, you sell it? Oh, 07. 2011. 11. So you did Yeah, you, May you, 30th, the anniversary of my, my daughter's birthday. Okay. And what was that like? What was that transition of saying, hey, you know what, I've, I've so done what I've wanted to do? What happened in 08, you know, our business was still strong. We lost some retailers. And because we lost some retailers, you know, the, the business became a little shaky. I mean, overall, I was, I was fine. But I had so much staff, so many reps everywhere. For the first time, I had to sit down with a couple of people. I had to let go mm. a couple of sales reps, which had done nothing wrong. A couple of merchandisers. We just had to trim them. I had to trim my payroll a little bit, right? Which right. was super heavy. Right. I mean, I was paying 25-year-old guy 100 grand a year to be going around with a vehicle and said, burn snowboard. Okay. So, so I, hey, Laurent, I, I, I want you to continue this, but I want to interrupt because you, you've been hiring people aggressively for years. Yes. And, and all of a sudden, you have to let one go. That was the toughest thing. Like, that would, that's, that, that's got to suck. It sucked, <laughs> and that's when all of a sudden, you know, now I'm, you know, I'll be, I'm a little bit over 40 years old. I'm a father. Yeah. Of a young daughter. And, and I had to let a couple people go. And, and, and you're I, a boss. And it, yeah. And it, it just hurt me. Mm-hmm. It hurt me. And then you start thinking, you know, um, how long can I do that for? Right. And I, the other thing is, you know, and I, I say this to people every day in sports, in business, whatever, you got to know your place. And too many people stick around a little too long. Mm. One too many movies, one too many game, one too many deals. And next thing, it's your own friends or your own family. And then go, dude, you, you, I, told, I told you, you should have been doing something else a long time ago. Right. You got to know when to walk. Okay. And I've always known when to walk. There will be a day when I don't want to be at the restaurant. Right. And I'll walk. Not when someone tells me, 
hey, your restaurants suck. You've been here five too many two years. Right. You right? quit. You quit cleaning. Yes. <laughs> your food sucks. Yeah. Right. Whatever. So, <laughs> so um, a couple of things happen, and and so let's go back because it, it, there's a parallel to the exit. Um, in 1995, uh, uh, the director of hard goods at Burton, which had become a friend of mine, Andy, calls me one day and said, hey, um, you remember my buddy Chad? He works for Transworld Snowboard Magazine, sells advertising out of San Diego. He goes, him and I, we've got an ID, something we've been working on. Um, we, we, we can't, can't, he's going to be in town next week in Palo Alto. Andy, uh, so, so no, no, uh, hold on. I just, I, I went too fast. So Andy calls me 95. He goes, I'm leaving Burton. I'm like, Andy, snowboarding is just it's exploding. He goes, I've been invited at, uh, to, to uh, Stanford Business School. I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to do an MBA at Stanford. I'm like, dude, Stanford is a mile away from my house. He said, well, that's why I'm calling you. Can I stay on your couch for a couple of weeks while I get things figured out? I said, of course, but I, I don't think you should be leaving Burton and going to do school. I'm not a scholar, right? Right. He goes, Laurent, I've made my mind. I told Jake I'm leaving. I'm going to school. I'm going to Stanford. I'll see you in two weeks. He leaves at my house. Now, in, after a few weeks, I'm like, you should stay here. Don't look for a place. Become my roommate. He said, okay, I can become your roommate, um, but I need to pay you rent. Yeah, I'm not staying here for free. I said, of course. He said, no, I'm paying you rent. Pick a number. I said, 300. Okay, 300 bucks. Became my roommate. Never had a roommate before. I had girlfriends at the house. So fast forward, he, MBA, Stanford, second year. He goes, one night, he goes, Laurent. And I'm having parties and barbecue. He's going to school in the morning. I'm going on the road. <laughs> you know, it's, it's crazy, right? And then one day he's like, hey, my buddy Chad, San Diego, blah, blah, blah. He's coming in town next week. Him and I have been talking about an idea we have. We, we want to we talk to you about it. I said, sure. So we meet at a cafe, Cafe Verona in downtown, uh, downtown Palo Alto. And, you know, just like in the movie, he, he takes a, he takes a, well, before he takes the napkin and, and, and write this little business plan, he goes, um, we want to start a watch company. So I looked, and there's three of us at this, around this coffee table. I'm like, well, none of us are wearing watches. He goes, oh, that's the point. There's no cool watches in surf, skates, no. There's cool shades, there's cool shirts, there's cool boards, there's cool everything. There's no cool, you know, there's freestyle watches, but those are cheap. There's the Casio G-Shock, but that's trendy. Mm -hmm. There's no cool watches. We should start a watch company. I still have a Casio G-Shock. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, okay, so, and they go, we want to do it, um, but we have no money. And we thought you'd be good at putting the seed money. I never heard that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this, you know, Stan, I mean, it's so Palo Alto. Yeah, yeah. He's going to Stanford <laughs> business school. I'm like, okay, what's that? He goes, well, um, we're not sure if we can make this thing happen, but we need about six months to figure it out. I'm going to quit school. Chad's going to quit his job. We need 50 grand. If you give us 50 grand in the next two days. Okay. You'll have a part of the company. You can keep doing your thing. Okay. It'll take us about six months to figure it out in six months. That'll be two solutions. Either you've lost your 50 grand and we'll go get a job or we'll know exactly what it's going to take to start this watch company and we'll have to raise real money. That's what you see money is going to do. I give them a check for $50,000, which at the time for me was a lot of money. Right. Okay. I mean, but, I had... But you, you had confidence or you believed. I had well, confidence. But you also had a, 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 a transparent pitch. Yes. Right. Right. You'll lose like, your It money. wasn't like, hey, dude, we're going to be billionaires. Mm. I say, hey, dude, in six months, you'll know. No, no, not at all. Andy was very clear. Yeah. You're either going to lose the 50 Gs or we have to go to work and we'll have to find guys enough money, real money, 
Mm-hmm. Not 50 series, grand. Series A, Series right? B. <laughs> so Andy and Chad went to work. And uh, about six, seven months later, they came back to me and said, Laurent, um, there is no more 50 grand, but you haven't lost it. We have now a very strong business plan, as you know, because I'd gone to some of the meetings. And, and as you know, we are going to start try to launch Nixon Watchers, and we need to raise <laughs> $1.2 million for 28% of the, for 38%. <laughs> you know the story, right? No, I never heard you the did? story, but I know the company. Yeah. I, I, I know it. And uh, yeah. so, um, so Andy goes, I, so Andy said, okay, we need to raise the dough. We need, and, and Andy had it all figured out. I mean, he's a Stanford MBA student, right? So uh, he's like, we need, we're in, in, we need to raise $1.2 million. I said, how do you come up with this? He said, well, the work, the, the entire work we've put together and, um, is worth, I value 2.7 and we need to do it to, to make the first watch and, and create the company. We need to raise 1.2 million, which is 38%. And uh, he says, so the bottom line is we need Laurent. We need to gather as many friends as you know. We need to put them in a conference room. And uh, Andy said, I'll pitch the, 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 the brand, the business. Chad will pitch the marketing aspect because that was his background, the, the team, the athletes, and so on. And you, Laurent, being a sales rep on the road for 15 freaking years, you're going to pitch on distribution. You're the burn rep. Everybody knows you. You're going to tell our future investors, and you could put those watches, in, those watches in any stores you want. I said, okay. He said, do you have a friend with a conference room? I said, I'll call an attorney friend of mine, Francois, French guy, out of Redwood City. <laughs> we got the conference room. We got some cheap coffee and cheap cookies. And about two or three weeks later, so Chad was like, you know, Chad was a true surfer out of San Diego. He's like, I have no friends with money, okay? So I had a few friends in Silicon Valley with money, okay? Andy had a bunch of friends with money. And, uh, and Chad ended up having a couple buddies. Long story short, we pitched about 25 people. And uh, we raised the money in three days. Wow. Yes. And, uh, and, and the rest is history. Oh, so so did, fast forward. Did, did Nixon go public? Or no, did- no, no, no. So, so in 97... In 97, we, we sold our first watches. Um, seven years later, in 2005, we sold, it, we sold the company to Billabong. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then we did an earnout. And again, Andy was like, Long, we're going to do earnout. Okay. Everybody's going to get paid fat. Your friend, all your friends, investors are going to get paid fat. But we're going to do earnout, which means Andy and Chad on, became employees of Billabong, kept, right. kept running. And, and with the earnout was five years in one day. Fast forward to 2010. In 08, I started laying off employees. I had a great couple payoffs with Nixon. In 2010, I told my wife and daughter, on my, when my daughter turned eight, on May 30th, 2010, I said to her and my wife, in one year from now, when you turn nine, I will no longer work. It'll take me one year to unbolt my whole organization, my employees, my showroom, everything I had going on. Right. And on May 30th, 2011, when Kaya turned nine, I, uh, I stopped working. Retired. Well, I never retired, but I stopped working. You stopped working. I stopped working, which I'd never done. We drank a lot of espresso after that. So, so. I started uh, visiting you guys in the showroom. Yeah, yeah, he started coming by. He started coming by a lot. Uh, And you did a lot of hella skiing, I remember. Yeah. But one thing I remember in 04, 05, when he's full into big dreams and working his ass off, I remember him telling me, I'm going to retire young. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to stop doing this in the near future. And when I'm ready, I'm going to open a French 
bistro, yeah. a French cafe in Newport Beach, and I'm going to do it super French. And if nobody likes it, fuck them. I'm doing it because I miss Paris, and I think Paris should be in Newport Beach. Yeah. Love it. And the, the crazy thing is when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, I told the exact same story than my buddies in Palo Alto. Well, here's what our listeners don't know is you did that uh, in 2000. So in 11, I stopped working. Mm. Okay. And I had a couple other passions going on at the time. The marathon, you know, I was really into the marathon and traveling with my wife and daughter. And because we're traveling all over the world, I was running a lot. I had all the time in the world. I'm an early riser. My wife and daughter were not. So, so wherever we were, I went running in the morning at 5 or 6 a.m. The more running, the more marathons, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward to, um, to 2013. Um, I mean, the Boston Marathon, when the bombs happened. Mm-hmm. Okay, it was my third Boston. Boston, by the way, was yesterday. I don't know if you knew that. Yes. Um, anyway, the bomb happened. You know, a lot of us that were there, it was, you know, this is the kind of stuff you usually watch on CNN. And yeah, all crazy. of a sudden you're there. I was, I was finished. I was in a restaurant. Bomb happened twice. Boom, we come out. The shit you see, the people running, the people crying, the blood, the this, the that. You know, you're like, holy shit. And then, and then you know, you start thinking. You know, and at the time I was, uh, I was 48. Um, and my mom, a couple weeks prior, had asked me if I was going to run the Boston Marathon. I said, yes. She said, listen, I've got to have a, a slight little operation on my foot. If you're going to be in Boston, you wouldn't mind flying over to Paris for a week. And then I can, I can have this procedure and you can help me out with my grocery shopping and so on. So I said, mom, sure enough, I'll, I'll do the Boston Marathon on Patriots Day on Monday. I'll fly out of Boston, out of Boston to Paris the following day and, and I'll spend the week and I'll go home. So, you know, the bombs happen on Monday, Patriots Day. Uh, nine years ago, and then the following day, uh, I'm I'm zoning out in the town. Everybody's gone, the whole town, and, and you're you're thinking, wow, you're, the year before, my wife and daughter were a quarter mile from the finish line, you know, and now people died over there, and mm-hmm. you know, you've got the army on the street, they're looking for the bombers, and you know, and I, and I flew to Paris that night, and I was really distraught about the whole thing, and I'm in Paris, and I'm grocery shopping for my mom, and, and I'm like, once again, I'm like. You know, I've always followed my passion and, and I call my wife from Paris and I said, listen, I've always talked about a little cafe bistro. I'm coming home in three days as planned and I will open one up as soon as I get home. Because if I don't, you never know. Carpe right. diem, you know? brother. Yeah, I could have died in those bombs or whatever. And I just wanted to do it. So I flew home and uh, I went to work. And that was 2013. And we opened our first place, the first moon around the corner, September 25th, 2014. How many Moulins are there now? Seven. <laughs> There's seven Moulins. Moulin is a, a, a French, now a, actually a, a name brand in Orange County, uh, in Southern California, and, and, and France because yeah, of your Instagram. A of, yeah, a lot of people follow us. It's, it's as French as they can be. Correct. All the time. When Laurent first opened, we were there. Yep. A guy asked for ketchup, and Laurent said, uh, you're in Paris. We don't use ketchup. 
I love it. And the guy goes, we're in Newport Beach. And he said, dude, when you cross over that threshold, yeah. you're in Paris. Yeah. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> it know, was a nice way of saying fuck or walk. You know, what's crazy about the ketchup story, and there was plenty of other stories similar, but the ketchup story, I did not want to have ketchup, you know. And no, but he, in, he my, acquiesced. in my 12-year-old daughter, which worked with me on the weekends and at night, and, and it was very important for me to open this store so my American-born daughter would see the culture I grew up in. And when my grandparents had, had a little store, in Paris and the markets when I worked but if I finally she got the, after a year of working with me my daughter Kaya was like dad you got I want ketchup with my french fries right okay <laughs> I'm an American girl everybody here <laughs> so that so this was a year into it I said okay Kaya from now on ketchup for kids only you have to be a kid there you go so we did that for one year only kids could ask for ketchup. Awesome. It was funny because the kids would come oh, in and ask hey, for ketchup. And your fries kick ass. Yeah. But it, you know what? Most people want ketchup. Yeah. It's so <laughs> interesting enough. I mean, so so now we obviously we give ketchup and now my daughter is 20 next month and we, we've, uh, you know, we've worked very hard and, and thanks. To, I mean, the, 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 it's really the consumers that then. Uh, I mean, I, as a, as a consummate sales guy, your pitch you're about to say is it's the consumers, dude. It's, it's you. It, it, we've known you for a long time and I can, years. I, I can tell you it's you and it's your passion and it's what you do. And that's what, that's why it's so successful. Um, I think we've run a little bit long. I think we can, I think we should probably have another podcast Yeah, anytime. And, and just, solely focus on Mulan yeah. and the restaurant business yeah. and as we could do a whole we should do a whole podcast about the restaurant business because well, but just what, whole, what, what I like all is, of it. what I like is the parallels because I asked you about your employees uh with with big dreams and when you were growing is one of the most impressive things to me is everybody in the past couple years pandemic bitches about hiring people it's the hardest thing to do. Nobody wants to work. Nobody can get employees. But Laurent has opened four restaurants in the pandemic. Yeah. 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 Every one of them, day one, is fully staffed with wonderful people that work their ass off. I'm the most critical restaurant asshole on the planet. And I want to tell my buddy what's wrong. And almost never do I have yeah. an employee complaint because... Because of your your either communication or training, oh, it's it's everything. Yeah, it's it's. But really I talk to guys that there's a guy on the beach. There's a, a restaurant on Fifteenth called the Stuff Surfer. It's been there forever. It's now closed. It's been closed five years. It says coming soon, summer twenty twenty nineteen. Coming back. It says sure. it says opening summer nineteen, summer twenty 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 one. It's just it's. And they're building it. And I'm, I, Ivy and I walk by every week and I'm like, Laurent's opened four restaurants in the past two years. This shithole sits here empty. He's going to listen to us. And, and, and he can. He'll still um, not buy a car. And, and they complain about they can't find employees. They can't get through the uh, uh, plan check, this, that. And I'm like, dude, yes, you can. Yeah. Yes, you can. Yeah. And you have no restaurant experience except waiting tables back in Paris and, and in, in Redwood City. But yes, you can when you have that fucking attitude. Huh? That's what yeah, makes I mean, stuff. And that's the wonderful thing about this country and this environment. I mean, if you're driven uh, and if you surround yourself with, and there are people out there. And the number one thing is you got to, you don't always pick the right people, but 
um, you got to take care of them. And that's one thing you can talk to a lot of my employees over the years, uh, back in the snowboarding days or windsurfing, snowboarding and restaurant. Now, I mean, I take care of people and, you know, the pandemic came and all of a sudden everybody freaked out or whatever. And, you know, we took care of people from the get go. And, and, uh, our only challenge frankly is because we've grown so much is adding people on top of the existing people. But my foundation, the base of the pyramid is so solid. That's why we've been build, able to build on top of it. Uh, but you know, we're, we hire every week and, and, People, people don't walk out of our, you know, we take care of people. We Re- feed the them. The restaurant business is fucking tough, too. It's, it's well, there, there's no middle, and that's why we should have a podcast on it. I mean, you're either banging or you're gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah I always exactly. say you're either, there's either a line out the door or yeah. you're, you're boarded up. And you look around here. I mean, you know, we have a lot of successful places here and, and, and nobody else. You know, we, we only go, uh, and it becomes a challenge because you're going to the same place where everybody is going. Correct. You know, one of my biggest pet peeves in, in my own places is I freak out when I see the line getting longer and longer and longer. And, and I go in the line and I apologize to customers that I've seen and have supported us for seven, eight years. And I'm like, oh, it's okay. We love the fact that you got a long line, you know. And, we do. You know, but, but you know, sometimes I'm like, you know, I, but our line is efficient. You know, and I tell our employees, I said, the line is okay. If, if, if the customers, you know, when the customers are in line, they're looking at us. If they see that we know what we're doing, they have no problem. But if we look confused, if we're messed up behind, then they, they won't come back because they go, those guys don't have this shit together. Right. That's where there's a line. Um, so, so one of the things that we like to do here at the, at the, at the corporation. At the podcast, pod. Uh, is... We, we, the three of us all have kids sort of the same age, mm-hmm. right? And this is kind of originated about our kids and what we want them to hear from, from successful entrepreneurs. If you had an elevator pitch to, to kids on, on how, how hard it is or what it takes to be successful, you know, what, what is your, you know, quick elevator pitch on? on- well, I mean, there, there's no easy way, okay? Mm-hmm. It's hard. And... um that's why you should start as soon as possible, you know. And um, you know when you when you're a, when you're a kid and you fall off a bike, it doesn't really hurt. When you're my age, if you fall off a bike, it hurts. So so I tell a lot of the kids, you know, follow your path. It's hard work, but it's really not as hard when you're 20 years old. Okay, you 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 can go longer. You're not as tired as me. Uh, you can carry heavier, whatever. But yeah, but it gets exponentially harder as you yes, get older. But, but there is, and, and you shouldn't wait. You know, I talk to 50-year-old, 60-year-old friends of mine, and, you know, they're like, oh, my, you know, if I, I, I wish I'd, I'd done this, but I got married young. And Okay, you just got to follow your, your passion, your dream. Don't think about the money. Don't think about the financial, you know, just fall. But, but, but at the end of the day, it's not easy. If it, if it looks, unless you're a gifted athlete and you can throw a ball and become a quarterback, uh, you know, no, it's not. It, it's hard work. And um, I'm 56 years old. And um, I mean, it's got easier. But, you know, just a few years ago when I started the restaurant, I, I, was, I was like, I have never worked so hard in my life. Mm. But I was very driven, very determined to make it in a, in an environment here. I mean, we're nothing against Riverside, but you know, there are a lot this of restaurants. Is the, this is the mo- outside of Manhattan or, or San Francisco, Chicago. Yeah. This is the most competitive. Yeah. The bar is pretty market. high here. Right. Okay. And, and, and it's, it's got higher every year. And there's a, there's a lot of great French people doing great things here. There's all the great restaurants and the consumer here, the customers here travel the world. You know, people yeah. walk into my place and go, I was in Paris yesterday. Wow. Let me see one of the sandwiches. I mean, 
right? <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, you're getting measured all the time. Yes, I, and well, I, get, I love I love the don't wait. That's important for kids to hear because they think they should wait no. for certain no. uh, things. No. Or, or I, I always hear young couples say, oh, we're in love. We're going to get married, but we're going to wait till we have money. I'm like, then you're getting, never getting married. No. Like, oh, oh, right. but now also the kids are like, well, you know, I, I've got time. I'm young. Mm-hmm. Well, it depends. Not really. No. Nope. Start early and, and end up uh, satisfying yourself a lot sooner. Yeah, have more right? time. Um, Big time. And uh, independence, I mean, I've never, you know, I, I haven't worked for someone since I was 18 years old. So, but, uh, you know, and that's the beautiful thing about this country, which is very different than France. In France, most people really do not have the desire to become independent. Um, there's an incredible value. You know, I tell, you know, freedom to me is the measure of success. You know, we've talked to probably a little too much about money, but, you know, I was never money driven, which is, you know, and, and I serve a lot of people that have a lot of money and at Mulan, you, we, we all do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we're, we're lucky we can live in this environment and, and be next to them. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're I, usually happier than them. Yeah, I, I, yeah, actually, I would agree. But, you know, if, if I had to do it all over again, I would do it exactly the same way all over again. I have zero regret. Um, love it. I love it. Where, where, that's, where, that's where, awesome. where, where do people find you? Like, Mulan, uh, Mulan Newport Beach, Mulan.com. That's, Mulan. a, that's a good start. Instagram, uh, Instagram, Mulan. Mulan. Um, and uh, out of the seven locations, you walk into Mulan Newport Beach, you're pretty much, uh, if you hear someone uh, screaming, no, 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 that's me. <laughs> uh, and one of the best uh, restaurant Instagram accounts. Yeah, just, okay. that, that's the one thing. I, I have zero problem. I delegate a lot. I, I, I delegate to 16-year-old kids behind the line. But there's one thing that when it comes to social media, which is, you know, so widely distributed, uh, images, words, and it's all me. I, and it's all done 100% by me because it's because the way people far away, when you walk into my store, you walk into my store, you're going to see, you know. But when you're seeing it on Instagram, I want to make sure that we're as close as possible to the reality. I, I couldn't fathom hiring someone to represent us on Instagram. Right. No, it's, it's, it's all you dude. And it's, uh, it's, it's really fun. <laughs> I was reluctant to have a French person on the pod and Polis said, no, we got to have Laurent. And I'm like, no, 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 we don't want to do that. But, uh, we're really get, glad you came. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you very man. much. Thank it's you a, very it's much. It's a great story. And I think it's actually just the beginning. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think this is for, for sure. It looks like, uh, we have a, bre- uh, a record, an, an hour and 35 minutes. Wow. Thanks, brother. Yeah. And, I'm all and, about breaking records. Yeah. And, the, and the first French guy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Thank hey, you very much. Thanks. Good night. And merci beaucoup. Merci beaucoup. Merci. Until the next one.